Listener-supported KFUO invites you to listen live to our annual share It's your opportunity to show your support to KFUO. If you can't join us live, please prayerfully consider supporting us by calling 314-996-1518 and asking about our giving levels. You can also click the Give Now button on our webpage. share 2017, April 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO. Online at KFUO.org. You're listening to Concord Matters on Worldwide KFUO. Listener-supported awesomeness coming straight to you from the Bible. Who is Jesus? What do he do? Why does it matter? And how you're going to know your mind is united with his by means of his word. And we're studying that word in order to find our mind in Christ, seeking unity and truth according to the scriptures and the scriptures alone. That's why we confess them. We speak them again. And so we find other norms, other standards that are in line with what scripture says and seek to be in accord with them as well. A path for unity in the truth of the scriptures. You're listening to Concord Matters. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, with my regular swelling throng of guests. I don't know, Peter, <laughs> Peter, and Sean. Uh, Peter Ill, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstead, Illinois. Pastor Sean Smith of St. Paul's in Wine Hill and Emmanuel in West Point, Illinois. And uh, Mr. Peter Slayton, social media manager of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And member in good standing at Philip Lutheran Church Woo-hoo. in uh, Ladue, Missouri. <laughs> we are picking is up my where... my mic on this time? It is. Everything. Okay. You're making noise. Awesome. Uh, we are picking up where the uh, the brothers left off last week at the end of paragraph 102 of the Apology, the Defense of the Augsburg Confession, moving into paragraph 103, in which they're going to use some church fathers to kind of support what's been said. Is there anything you guys kind of read along ahead of, uh, or dealt with what they would dealt with last week, last week that you want to bring up and just kind of call to bear? some context? Well, I, I thought that uh, um, they did an excellent job of reading through exactly what Melanchthon is intending to do here, what the Lutheran theologians are intending to do, which is this is scripture, as you said in your opening here, you know, th- what we confess, what we believe as Christians is drawn right there from scripture. And so th- it does an excellent job of laying out this is exactly in scripture where it says these things that we believe. And then to transition into what we're going to cover today then, uh, and and this is what the faithful theologians ever since the beginning have always taught and confessed about what those scriptures say as well. So it's kind of the natural progression. So that way when the Lutherans are saying these things, uh, it's not like, oh, we came up with this all on our own. It's something new. No, that, that would be a sign of heresy. This is scripture. This is the Father's. There it is. We deal with this quite a bit more on Cross Defense, the other uh, 2 p.m. show, which sometimes I confuse with this show while I'm talking it, if you recall. (laughs) While Uh, announcing it, even. But the idea that dogma, doctrine, truth, if it is true, can be spoken again. And so to say scripture alone and mean it as being true, by definition means there will be other documents or statements that we can subscribe to and affirm as being what the scriptures say 
beyond the scriptures. If you can't do that, you actually don't believe in scripture alone. Right. Yeah. Thoughts yeah. about that? No. No, that's it. Just, okay. <laughs> so the fathers, though, like you mentioned here, though, that means that amongst the Catholics, we're going to find Christians because everyone was Catholic up to a certain point. Amongst the Orthodox, we're going to find Christians who speak Christian things. And when we find that gold in the fathers, uh, we want to cling to it. We want to hold to it. And that's some of the, the, the texts that we have before us. So, okay. Paragraph 103 says here, there, here and there, among the fathers, similar testimonies exist, meaning uh, what we've been saying all along from Scripture. For Ambrose says in his letter to, to a certain Irenaeus, Furthermore, the world was subject to God by the law because, according to the command of the law, all are indicted. And yet, by the works of the law, no one is justified. For by the law, sin is perceived, but guilt is not taken away. The law, which declared all people sinners, seemed to have done harm. But when the Lord Jesus Christ came, he forgave to all people the sin which no one could avoid. And by the shedding of his own blood, he blotted out the handwriting that was against us. This is what he says in Romans 5.20. The law came to in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Because after the whole world became subject, Christ took away the sin of the whole world, as John testified, saying in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And for this reason, let no one boast about works, because no one is justified by his deeds. But he who is righteous has righteousness given to him, because he was justified from the washing of baptism. Faith, therefore, is that which frees through the blood of Christ, because he is blessed, whose transgression is transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, as Psalm 32 says. Now, there, there's a number of things going on here. First, I, I would I notice that what does the fathers do? Quote scripture. <laughs> the very thing they've been doing <laughs> yep. before. Uh, the other being that by, by going to these particular fathers, who are sort of the gems in the crown of the Roman Catholic Church, they're effectively saying, look, your own team is against you here. Uh, we're, we're pulling from Irenaeus, Ambrose, and did he mention one more? I felt like he mentioned one more. You're pulling big names out of their hat. Uh, then you got the entire law gospel thing, which we could just spend quite a bit of time on that too. So jump in wherever you want. I'll jump in on the law gospel. Always ready to talk law <laughs> gospel. But uh, yeah, the the law, I was, I was working with my uh, high school uh, theology class this morning over this issue. We were talking about the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, and and I, and I said, you know, how, how do you know that you have peace with God? And um, it's it's amazing how that temptation in us, at, at even a young age, and, and my students were not heretics in this or anything, but, you know, we feel that tension of, well, I have to offer something, I have to do something. And, and I brought up that discussion with them because, you know, we were talking about what the church is. We've been working through Acts, and they're talking about the church in terms of doing acts of charity and doing all of these these nice good works and so forth. But the problem for the the Catholics is is that they're making Christ into a lawgiver. They're making him into a moral giver. That you have to offer something. That you have to pay for an indulgence. That you have to uh, um, offer penance. You have to do something. And all that does is become a work of the law, which will never satisfy that perfect righteousness that God demands. He demands perfection. And so the law really only serves to show us how far away from God and how. Uh, how little peace we have with God. And when it comes in, it just absolutely crushes you like that. Now you're ready for the gospel and to find out 
It's not in my my ability at all. It's in what Christ has done for me. Jesus and Jesus only. That's the pure gospel. And uh, and Ambrose lays this out exceptionally well here, um, in, in saying that uh, you know all are indicted under the law. That's all it does. It, it it accuses. So what you're saying is we don't really need the law anymore as Christians, right? No. I did not say that. <laughs> oh, that's all you said. You said the law accuses us, Jesus saves us. So all we need is Jesus now. Well, that is what we need to be saved, is all go. we need is Jesus. But the law still serves as this, um, we call it the third function of the law. It directs us in the way, you know, how do we live this God-pleasing life that we desire to live because we have been saved, um, because we are children of the Heavenly Father. If, if I admit that the law condemns me because I'm evil, then I admit that the law is good. And so being redeemed into the good, why would I then not love the good? Why would I yeah. only love evil? It's insanity to claim to hold to the gospel while also rejecting the law as some sort of permanent truth. Yeah, the law is still God's will for our lives. Here's how I want you to live. This is the best way life works. Yeah. This is yeah. what it is. Do it. And, and, and because we say... It always accuses, lex semper accusat, right? In the Latin, law, the law always accuses. Um, the 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 tension then is is that w- some are tempted to say, well, it only accuses. Well, it doesn't do that, and 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 we see this because the more that I see that the law is really quite good, the more I recognize just how how not good I am just how <laughs> I mean it, it's uh, um, if anyone has ever read the hammer of God wonderful work uh, by yeah. Bo Geertz uh, we see this and uh, I can't remember his name now but he's on his deathbed mm. and the pastor goes to him and the pastor's kind of confused and he's like because this is a pretty pious guy I mean he he's lived a good life but all this guy sees is just all of his sin and just how not good he has lived his yeah, life he's despairing yeah he's deathbed. very despairing and and the pastor's stumbles and struggles and and needs uh you know needs a faithful layperson to actually do the gospel we, we pastors are better right pastor uh, i wish well, i could say yeah, that sometimes that we stumble ourselves too but uh, that that's actually what we need then is that gospel because we we do recognize how good the law is um but the more that we recognize it the more i tend to see how just miserable i am how and, far and, yeah. short you fall yep yep we fall Sean, something that you brought up is really helpful and I think really important. This whole conversation about law and gospel is really a conversation about Jesus. Because when you get law and gospel wrong, you get Jesus wrong. And as you were talking about, you take uh, an inappropriate view of the law and the gospel, and it changes what we expect Jesus to do. And if we turn Jesus into a lawgiver, that is not Jesus as confessed in the Gospels. That is not Jesus who has prophesied. That is not Jesus who is spoken of by the apostles in the epistles. This is simply uh, kind of a figment of our imagination because the Jesus who comes in Scripture is the Jesus who is the Savior of the world. He is the gospel bringer. And if we take away his gospel bringerness, yeah, I'll go with it. Is if we take away his okay. gospel bringerness, uh, then he's not the same Jesus, and we're not being faithful to Scripture. And this law and gospel understanding affect how we talk about Jesus, our Christology. Right, and 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 to say another way than the gospel bringerness or whatever it is that you said there, um, he's not the lawgiver; he's the law fulfiller. Right. right? Yeah. I, that, I didn't see, come that sounds to a, like you went to school, yeah. man. That's good. Yeah. He says. Uh, <laughs> we got he says a God I did, problem. 
but we got a God solution. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good for these turns of phrase. No, uh, um, but no, he, I mean, this is what Jesus himself says. I'm, I'm not even like wise enough to come up with this. I mean, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Right. And so when we recognize that is the gospel is that he has fulfilled that law for me. Um, then, then I recognize too exactly what I said that it's not abolished; it's still good. Um, but, but the more that I find myself despairing of how not good I am, then uh, you know the more comfort I have in the fact that He fulfilled everything there for if me. If you're I drowning, if you're drowning in a stormy sea, and somebody grabs you and and takes your arm and is going to pull you out of the sea, you don't want to stay in the sea. You don't want to go back. And even though you find out, hey, look, my body actually still does want to stay in the sea. My soul and my will want to die. I still got Adam within my flesh. That new man within you wants the arm to hold on to you and pull you to the right place. And that right place is strictly in Jesus. But in Jesus, all the law is not abolished, is fulfilled, which is summarizing the law, not as do this, do that, just because uh, get better so you can please people. But what the law really is, the design, you mentioned the will of God earlier, the design that we would live in love with each other in, in servitude and in understanding and in, in care and mercy, not sacrifice, all that. But why, why, how could you possibly, having received mercy, not want to give that mercy to others? It's just, it, again, it blows my mind that someone could really hear the gospel and use it as an excuse for wickedness. But the, the only one that does that, in fact, is the unbeliever. Right. And and also, too, to, to quote a very good pastor, uh, who a statue is of him over my, my shoulder here, um, CFW Walther, um, he, he was uh, writing a letter to a pastor in the early days of the LCMS, and the pastor was just troubled with how much just kind of rampant sin was going on in his congregation. And CFW Walther said, you know, don't hit him over the head with more law. I mean, speak the law truthfully and clearly. He said, but the more that you can get them to recognize how good it is with Jesus, hmm. then you will find them rejoicing to live according to this this true word that has also saved them. And uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, so I said to quote, but I'm paraphrasing uh, what a very good pastor said. I think that's good pastoral advice. And, and I, I find, at least in my own personal life, that that is true as well. They're not going to want to keep the law until they until they have a reason. It's because of forgiveness yeah. that he is feared. Right. And CFW Walther was by far not the first to talk this way. Uh, even here, right. as we have Ambrose and Augustine uh, speaking about law and gospel issues, Ambrose and Augustine and the other church fathers uh, have no problem going after. Uh, sin, especially open and public sin and sensuality and moral issues. And they were unapologetic in the way that they would uh, tackle these issues. Uh, but they also were always very clear with the gospel. They, here is God's desire for you in your life. Here is God's law. And they make no bones about it. And I think sometimes in the church today, I as a pastor at least, have this temptation to want to uh, soft sell the law. I don't want to be too mean. I want people to like me at the end of the day. Uh, it, it's a big order, but... Especially I, if the offertory comes after the sermon, right? Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I would like people to, to think nice things about me, and I think most Christians fall into that category, where we want to soft sell the law. It's not that big of a deal, and we're all going to get to the Jesus loves you part, and it's all okay. And that's not the way Scripture speaks. That's not the way the church fathers speak. It's not the way that the 
the church of God speaks. We are honest about the law. We don't make it more severe, and this is what's really important with Sean reminding us of CFW Walter before. We don't make it more severe than it is, but at the same time, we don't make it less severe than it is. We say what the scriptures say, and we hold to that, and then we get to promise the wonderful gifts that we have uh, in Christ. I think one thing that's helped me as, as someone who has not grown up Lutheran, I grew up in the evangelical church where the gospel is often, you know, not heard very frequently. It's, it's, you know, it's something to save you. And now you're a Christian, it's all law. And so becoming Lutheran and hearing the gospel regularly uh, from my pastors, you know, receiving it in my mouth, you know, in my ears, all that stuff, there's this temptation to then begin to look at the law as this this bad thing that we've been talking about, how, no, it's actually a good thing. What's helped me in overcoming this view of the law as, well, now I've got the gospel, how dare you condemn me with the law again because I'm free, is learning to see, like we said, this law is good. And I think something that helped me overcome that, I don't know if I heard it from Pastor Fisk or somebody else most likely, but this idea that when we're when we die in the new resurrection, the new new heaven and the new earth, we'll actually still be living by the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. and keeping them perfectly. Yeah. Only the Decalogue is eternal. That's a, yeah. a Luther quote. Okay, sure. Yeah. And so, but, but just thinking of that in and of itself, it's like, okay, if that's how life eternal is going to be, this, this can't be bad. And even if I find my conscience bound to the law here in this world, I'm still freed by the gospel, but it's, it's no longer a bad thing to... Yeah, I don't have to look at it as a bad thing. Let's, the Ten we'll Commandments, the Ten Commandments are not the gospel. But if you cannot hear the Ten Commandments as a future promise and think that's what I want, you're missing the gospel. So, in the life of the world to come, you shall have no other gods. Yeah, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You shall remember the Sabbath day and and think of Luther's explanation. You will re- rejoice to hear the Word of God preached. You'll, you'll get up and be like, "Yeah, it's Sunday. I got to go to church, right?" You will love the authorities that you are under. You will never hurt nor harm your neighbor in his body. You will never uh, lust or covet or deceive or any such thing, but only love your neighbor as yourself. What a joy! I mean, it mm-hmm. just it, it, it fixes everything. What if, if only we could do it now? Which is really the Christian experience: is I love this law. If only I could do it now. You know, it sounds an awful lot like Psalm one hundred nineteen. Uh, yeah, the way sure. you describe it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and a lot of the Psalter does speak that way about the law. Uh, that we delight in the law of the Lord. And we meditate on it day and, and night. And we meditate yeah. on it day and night. And how often have I prayed th- those passages and thought, I wish I meditated on God's law day and night. But in Christ, I do. And in the days to come, and especially in the resurrection, I will. And that is something really to look forward to. Going back to the, uh, there there are two sides of this horse though, that can be fallen off, uh, two sides of the law gospel horse to fall off. One, Peter just mentioned a moment ago about, I, I become a Lutheran, I get law and gospel, at least in theory, that the gospel, there's a difference. And so now suddenly I want to make the law go away entirely. I don't even want to hear it anymore. I right? don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah. It's just the gospel is going to do everything. And then the other side of it is that I'm afraid of the people who maybe are doing that and saying just the gospel is going to do everything. So now I'm going to I'm going to take this law. I'm going to use it all the more, or I'm not, or I disbelieve that the gospel is going to create the new man which will want to keep the law. And so I think uh, I think this is what the Walter quote was getting at from earlier. Now, if I really want to fix my congregation's behavior. The gospel is not the main tool for that. It's the law, which both of those are, are in error. They, they must both be spoken. They do work in harmony together, but y- you can fall off either side of this horse. 
Right. And, and the formula of Concord, also in our book of Concord, uh, talks a little bit about this, too, that um, how does one live then that sanctified life, that holy called life that, that we have once we have received the gospel, we have, we have become um, children of God through the waters of baptism, all these good gifts of God. How do, how do I grow then in my sanctification? And, and, and this is where the Lutherans have been at danger, kind of trying to steady themselves on that horse, because the nature of the the, the Lutheran Christian life is to hold things in tension. You know, it seems like a paradox and that's an uncomfortable thing for people. And so at different times we've kind of fallen off more to like, we've tried to play a little closer to the reformed and things like this. Um, but um, I just lost my train. Sorry. Of where was well, it? Right. On, on sanctification, yeah. Pastor, Pastor Whedon, yeah. who is, uh, if you get it back, by only jump it. in, but um, he is uh, well known to the listeners here. He is one who'll use a term that I usually won't use called progressive sanctification. He has no problem using that term. I don't mm-hmm. I don't like it because I think it leads people toward thinking that I have to climb a ladder again. Right. But his way of understanding progressive sanctification is that I progress in total unawareness of myself or my progression. Right. right? Less of me, more of Jesus. An ignorant yeah, progressive the, sanctification. And, yes, I, I progress yes. in forgetting things. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and the way that he, he talks about it really, too, is is that, you know, what... What, what you're progressing in then is you're actually growing deeper in the gospel. Right. You're getting more and more used to your justification. Yeah. Um, yeah. And which is objective outside of myself, not not dependent on me or what's in my mind or in my heart, but it, what is in the heart of Christ himself, um, who thank God doesn't forget me. All right. Doesn't leave me as a lost sheep. He goes out and, and continually chases me down. And, and the deeper I grow in that gospel, this is where I was going with my thinking that I lost, you know, that as we grow deeper in the gospel, that's the way the formula talks about there. We see our sanctification growing. It's rather, um, it's just kind of this, uh, spurious kind of thing that happens. And that's where, again, I, I think it's, I think it's safer to say, I don't see my sanctification growing. Others will. But I don't. Hmm. I see my sin deeper than it ever was, even as I'm doing less of it. Because it is a fact. I'm doing less sin than I was doing when I was 20, if we're talking about acting on it. At least outwardly towards others. Outwardly other towards others. In my yeah. hands, right? Yeah. My mouth. But the, the, the less that it's in my hands and my mouth, the more it's still in my heart trying to get out, right? And so as as I grow in that gospel and my understanding of my need for mercy, I see my sanctification less, which is why the, the danger of talking about it is the average evangelical, the average American Christian is always trying to measure their sanctification. They're trying to, trying to look at it. Fruit faith checking. is trying to see faith. Yeah. And faith can't see faith. Right. And and, and kind of a weak image of this uh, to, to maybe help the listeners get an idea of it is is sometimes when someone goes through like a weight loss program or something like that, right? If you jump on that scale every single day and you're trying to measure it, oftentimes that, that creates the greatest despair and the struggle, you know, it just, it doesn't really help the situation. Um, but when you're really, and, and it's really difficult to oftentimes be aware of how much progress you are making in weight loss and those sorts of things. We, we kind of know this in the natural world. Um, but then lo and behold, over time, Time, you just kind of look back and you're like, wow, it's it's kind of amazing how far, you know, I've been brought along in this this kind of weight loss journey. You, you hear people talk about those sorts of things. Uh, clearly something I know nothing about. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, but in, in terms of our faith then too, there, there are different moments where we, we can kind of look back and see. I mean, uh, I, I think we could all go around here and talk about different experiences in our life in our younger days. And, and we kind of look back and we're like, wow, 
it's kind of a it's kind of amazing how far God has brought me along since then that that I don't I don't really even desire to indulge in those sorts of things or you know just there there was a a, a joke cartoon that went around and some of the the fights that I've seen online I think revolved around this but I, I thought it was pretty good and pretty clever it was a it was a, an escalator that said oh, yes. sanctification on it and this guy had like tried to climb it and fallen on his face but was being carried up anyway upside down yeah yeah <laughs> and I think the reason people didn't like it is it was implying that therefore the guy was trying to be evil or something that that's what we're saying you try to be evil and you'll still get there no he was just being a bumbling idiot (laughs) he just wasn't good enough and god was doing it but it wasn't like he wasn't trying to go up he was clearly not under his own power ascending yes yes Yes. it was was a very cool image yeah that's uh that's in the formula too right and and the way it talks about sanctification is the weekly they say right you know that uh, the weekly uh, yeah Yeah. the weekly and uh and so yeah that that is definitely a good picture and image of our sanctification is that i i am not very strong at driving my own sanctification there are a lot of churches you you talked about you know growing up and even so-called evangelical background, which is supposed to be pure gospel proclamation, yeah. but it really becomes another law, right? Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, they're they're trying to be strong in, in growing in their sanctification. And we recognize, I am just really quite weak at it. So, praise be to God. For a second, I thought that you meant that there were cartoons in the Formula of Concord. And I <laughs> no. got really wait, wait, excited. Can we go study that now? That yeah. sounds great. Yeah, that, yeah I want to find the cartoons. <laughs> we... We need to get on the cartoon Formula of Concord. Illustrated version? Is that what that one is? Yeah, I hope so. We need to get on that. <laughs> there's, There's got to be, I mean, there's some real gifts out there. You know, there's got to be someone that can make that happen. <laughs> Formula of Concord for kids and adults who are weird. We'll Woo-hoo! be right back. Concord Woo! Matters. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. Cleta Mitchell writes in the New York Times, This is feminism today. Abortion, no limits, no debate, no conversation. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll find out why she believes she's no longer welcome in the feminist movement. We'll also have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on the Passion of Christ. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Worldwide KFUO invites you to start and end your day with the Word of God and prayer with morning prayer at 9 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Weekdays on the Messenger of Good News, Worldwide KFUO. A long-standing tradition at Worldwide KFUO is to broadcast two live worship services for those unable to attend or for those who benefit from hearing God's Word online or on KFUO. From Peace Lutheran Church in South St. Louis County, Missouri, Senior Pastor Dennis Castens leads the worship service at 8 a.m. The live late service at 1045 comes from Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne, Missouri, where Rev. Tim Ostermeyer is Senior Pastor. Hear the message of mercy and forgiveness. 
during Sunday morning worship on Worldwide KFUO. John Donne wrote poetry inspired by biblical themes. He wrote a poem called The Lamentations of Jeremy, a poetic translation of lamentations from Latin into English. Dunn is noted for his transformation from womanizer to Reverend Dr. Dunn, Dean of St. Paul's Cathedral, a poet who became a priest in 1615 at the insistence of King James. The artistry of his poems becoming the artistry of his sermons, prose largely unnoticed until decades after his death. When Don Sermon's Selected Passages was published in 1919, the Quarterly Review called them a masterpiece of English prose. In 1632, Dunn gave one of his last and best-known sermons, a meditation on Christ's last hours, using the text of Psalm 68, and unto God the Lord belong the issues of death. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. because of the truth of the Bible is true no matter who says it through time and history space and uh, well everywhere it's the same truth it can be repeated it can be restated it can be believed it can be confessed it can be same said so if we're going to be Christians in these dark and evil times don't we want to align ourselves with that truth that scripture says and one way to do that is by aligning with that confession of golden thread of who Christ is it's been spoken again credo I believe all the way through history Looking at Apology to the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, on justification by grace through faith in order to clarify how we would want to stand in that vein of Scripture over and against the antagonists of the medieval fight against the Reformation, those who wanted to keep the gospel buried at the time, definitely the Roman Catholic Church, and some snark coming our way as I speak with Pastor Peter Ill of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstead, Illinois, Pastor Sean Smith of St. Paul's Wine Hill in Emmanuel, West Point, Illinois, and uh, Peter, Mr. Peter Slayton, who's not Mr. John Sias, uh, Mr. Peter Slayton, <laughs> social media manager of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, and we're moving into paragraph 104 Rather than bring up the cartoons in the formula of Concord, we're going to go back into the serious matter of uh, the, the uh, mm. apology, the Oxford <laughs> Confession. Everybody's but it's going to be searching for the cartoons now. Speaking Wait. of cartoons, I mean, what we're going to have here is a little bit of a caricature moment, though, where uh, Melanchthon's going to say uh, he's going to paint a little picture and kind of poke, poke fun at the adversary. So he says this about this quote from Ambrose that sent us previously on a discussion of long gospel. We hope it was a benefit to you, but kind of sent us off on, off on that. He says, these are the words of Ambrose, that, that long quote in which Ambrose quotes scripture about justification which clearly favor our doctrine, he says. He denies justification to works and teaches that faith sets us free from the blood of Christ. And now here's the snark, paragraph Through. 105. Oh, did I say from? Thank yeah. you. Through the blood of Christ. Paragraph 105 is the snark. Let all the commentators on the sentences who are adorned with magnificent titles be collected into one heap. For some are called angelic, others subtle, and others unanswerable, that is, doctors who cannot err. When all these have been read and reread, they will not be worth half as much for understanding Paul as this one passage of Ambrose. Now, to get that, that theological nerd joke, you're kind of going to know who the sentences are by or what they are. guy named Peter... Absolutely, a guy named Peter Peter Lombard yeah. um, wrote kind of the one of the uh, theological textbooks of the medieval church, and he called it the sentences. And it was a series of sentences of, of theological uh, 
well, I'd like to say truths, but I shouldn't, and I won't, uh, theological statements. And uh, Luther and Melanchthon take turns making Lombard's sentences their whipping boy. Uh, and they will constantly quote these back because these are the very basis of the medieval theological system. And they continue to point out that these sentences are wrong. And so, and then people would comment on the sentences and he says, all of these doctors who say that they really know what they're doing and that they're infallible, yeah, about that. And proceeds to lay it on the line uh, and they get all of these cool titles. Uh, and... Melanchthon says, but you guys aren't getting the Bible right. You guys aren't speaking faithfully about Christ. You're not speaking faithfully about law and gospel. Therefore, your sentences are completely and totally wrong. Yeah, and I, I actually like the snark a little before that. Uh, it's, it's a little more subtle snark, but it sets up where he goes with that. And that's, uh, these are the words of Ambrose, which clearly favor our doctrine. I mean, that's just like, the <laughs> God, like that's one of my favorite ways to argue, right? Is that uh, I just lay out, um, this is what like well-revered ancestors who have always been right, you know, have stood the test of time and are right. Um, and, and you would even acknowledge our rights. Um, this is what they're saying. Um, and that clearly favors what I'm saying. If you were just a little more so, intelligent, you'd clearly agree right. with me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, just well, save yourself time and see that my position agrees with the right position. And, and I mean, guys, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe they, the adversaries here were quoting Ambrose as favorable to them, weren't they? This is like one of their favorite church fathers. They're using him to justify their positions all over the place. And so this is like a turning the tables on them kind of moment where it's like, that's why we see Ambrose quoted so frequently throughout the Apologies, because no, actually Ambrose supports us. So right. Ambro that, yeah. Ambrose, Augustine, and... Um, oh. Translated Latin. Chrysostom. Uh, well, oh, Chrysostom, no, but... Uh, no, no, no. Jerome. Uh, Jerome. 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 Yeah, yeah, I mean, kind of the big names. Chrysostom Those would be another them. one that really throw in there. I'm busy over here trying to apply these titles. So now, I think from now on, uh, uh -oh, we have with uh -oh. me the angelic Peter Ill, the subtle Peter Sladen, and the unanswerable Sean Smith. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Notice he didn't give me subtle. Um, <laughs> no, you're angelic. I prefer How the most holy reverend Sean Smith. The good news, dear listener, is that was no completely and totally Sean. a joke. <laughs> yes. Um, just I have so no we're clear. To Sean either. Yeah, we, we don't have an answer for the unanswerable. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the point of this, though, is that it, like this one statement from Ambrose has such clarity to it. Is so not not just in the sense of it obviously agrees with us. It's that too, but it lays it out so so plainly. And the medieval system that you mentioned earlier was such a disaster of lack of clarity for the conscience, so that you didn't know how you stood with God. Well, it could be several thousand years in purgatory. Here, pay for this, pay for that. Go to this pilgrimage, do this, do that. Maybe you'll have a few weeks off. You know. And I'd like to reframe that lack of clarity as being a lack of gospel. Yes. Because that's really what it is. And let's just call a spade a spade. It's not that it's unclear. They were very clear about the law. They weren't very clear about the gospel. And that is what threw the whole system into an But I'm going to say they, weren't, they were not clear about the actual law of God. They were clear about all sorts of man-made laws Human that they'd put law, yes. in its place, right? But the, the actual law of God had been, had been left behind. Indeed. Yeah, Agreed. Right? Yep. Right? Which is what happens when you start having law and no gospel is because the actual law of God always accuses, begins to crush you, you've got to start replacing it with laws you can keep. And so you start kind of sticking up a little bricks of a wall around the actual law. you got to keep it away. Keep keep yourself safe from that. Next thing you know, that's as totally forgotten as everything else. 
Well, and, and to, to your point too, uh, Mr. Slayton, is that uh, um, I believe uh, Lombard actually rather liked Ambrose, so much so that uh-huh. I had a confusion for a long time because I associated Ambrose with Lombard and his sentences, <laughs> and I knew Lombard was bad, right? Therefore, and, Ambrose right. must be too. And so I, yeah, I thought Ambrose was like, oh, he's one of those guys we don't like, right? And <laughs> I kind of made a fool of myself in a seminary class once. And, well, he does. But, Ambrose does have some things he says, well, I believe, that, that are incorrect. Right. But I think this is yeah. just this. Both of your points together make the major point, which is. Look, the sentences are based in large part on Ambrose. Everyone's commenting on the sentences. You think you're all so wise teaching this crazy meritorious system based on works that God never spoke. And look, one sentence from Ambrose undoes the entire thing. And if that wasn't enough, here comes Augustine with his own uh, just wonderful, clear statements. Nice segue. Paragraph 106. (laughs) Paragraph 106. In the same way, Augustine writes many things against the Pelagians, Pelagians being uh, followers of a guy named Pelagius, who effectively taught that you could free will your way into God's divine favor, free will your way, decide your way into heaven. Not as good, I would say, as not quite modern day decision theology, because he said you could actually do it without any Jesus at all, which is really kind of crazy. But but as a result, Augustine ends up making those arguments that stand to this day against the synergists, those who think they can work their way into heaven. In On the Spirit and the Letter, a book by Augustine, he says, the righteousness of the law, which means that he who has fulfilled the law shall live in it, is set forth for this reason. When anyone has recognized his weakness, he may attain and do the law and live in it, Reconciling the justifier, not by his own strength, nor by the letter of the law itself, which cannot be done, but by faith. In a justified person, there is no right work by which he who does that work may live. But justification is received by faith. Yeah, it's the bag. The, uh, you know, this is, this is what faith does. It just receives the gifts. And, uh, we we really can't contribute anything to that, and 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 this is another devastating academic blow, and 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 it is point important to point this out too that um, this is an academic work, and and you know if if any of us try to work on our PhD, right, you know, and we write a dissertation, and it's just all these things that we come up with our on our, on our own, or um, well, any any university or. Uh, academic father and so forth would say, nope, that's not how we do academics. And so Melanchthon is just hammering them hard here. You know, here's another church father that agrees with us and not you. And and he's just hitting them left, right. And so he's really restating the same thing over again. I mean, if you go into a court of law situation as one of the few places in our society today where we still do believe in truth, kind of, Supreme Court may be less so, but like someone gets murdered. Cops go out, find evidence, bring evidence to lawyers. Lawyers take evidence to court, present evidence, make case as to whether or not that murder was done by this person or not, right? True, not true, false, not false. That is kind of the approach that's being taken to truth here. So if religion can be true in any way, shape, or form, you should be able to present evidence to your case. It's not just a matter of, I feel this, I like this, I prefer this. It's going to be in the realm of, this has clearly been stated. And then this becomes, well, what's the main witness? Right? And, and sometimes as Lutherans, we end up uh, taking a little bit of flack because we make these dogmatic assertions or we say what is objectively true about Scripture. We say what the Bible says. And 
sometimes people don't like that. Uh, and we get a little bit of pushback that, well, you can believe that if you want to, but I really like to see it this way. And, and they may give a reason or they may not, but it's not about how I feel or what I think or what I would like God to be like, but rather it is all about what it is that God says about himself in Holy Scripture. Can you imagine the guy who, who did the murder, like on the witness stand saying, well, I didn't feel like I murdered him. I, I didn't mean to murder him, or I don't like to think that murder is really what I did. It was more like manslaughter. I mean, how does that hold up? It's not going to hold up at all, right? But yet, yet that tends to be an approach that in our American spirituality we apply to our religion all the time. Yeah, or or even, and we see this corruption kind of happening in our justice system, even here in the United States, unfortunately, is that by by the way that one presents the argument, that if it sounds compelling, mm-hmm. right, that, that if it if that person really has a lot of charisma that leaves us with a good feeling, we're more prone to believe them instead of what is objectively true, right? And uh, and so there's always that danger. The devil's behind all of these sorts of things because he works against truth. He's the father of lies. And so uh, we, we need to be honest about what we're working against here. And, and you know, again, referencing, you know, just my theology class that I'm teaching in the morning, we, we're seeing this again and again in Acts. You know, you have Paul and you have Peter and you have all of these guys who are going out there and speaking objective truth and Oh, guess what? The world doesn't like it and reviles against it, but that doesn't change the objective truth that this is what has has been given to us from God. These are the witnesses. This is what scripture says. I love what Stephen does right before he's stoned. He literally lectures them. You know, he's being charged with heresy uh, and, and you know, degrading the, the fathers, Abraham and so forth. And he says, oh, let me tell you about scripture here. And he just speaks objective truth. And oh, by the way, they stoned him to death for yeah, it. Right, yeah, right, right. But, you know, that, that doesn't change. This is the truth. And on that objective truth, then, what I want, any of you can jump on this, but I'm going to reread a section of this quote again, because it, it, when I was reading it, it was like, this reads funky. So what does this mean when it says, when anyone has recognized his weakness, he may attain and do the law and live in it, reconciling the justifier, not by his own strength, nor by the letter of the law, but by faith. What does that, what does that mean? Reconciling the justifier, capital J justifier. I stumped y'all. <laughs> it's unanswerable. <laughs> so my yeah. read on this, right. right? Okay, I'm going to try to parse it. Is that when anyone has recognized his weakness, that is the Christian who knows his sin, he may attain and do the law and live in it. That is, he can approach the Ten Commandments for what they are without being bothered by them, nor needing to use them as some sort of ladder to climb, but you live um, with the law, even, even knowing your own sin, because you've reconciled the justifier... That is, the God who justifies you, now you stand okay with him, not by your own strength in the matter, nor by the letter of the law that you're trying to keep. You're trying to keep it, but the letter doesn't matter to you because you're already justified in Christ. That's the faith itself, right? Did I get did I get that right? Because I thought it was yeah. poorly worded. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if I it's think... about approaching the law. That's kind of where I'm stumbling. It's not necessarily your view of the law. It's your view of, of faith and justification and getting the law out of the picture entirely. But see, that's just, it doesn't go out of the picture entirely. Yeah. Right? It stays in the picture. I just now, it's like, I think Luther talks this way too. It's more God's it's, will instead of. It's like the wolf that I have on a chain. 
it, that totally now can't get to me, but kind of guards my house in some ways. And as long as the wolf's on the chain, I can throw the meat at the wolf and like, yep, that was the right thing to do. All right. Da, da, da. Uh, but if I let the wolf off the chain into my conscience, now, now I'm in hmm. trouble, right? Yeah. Well, and so, well, to back up for a second, I think the reason that you stumped us is actually what we're talking about. Um, and, and that sometime, Augustine, Augustine stumped you. Right. Uh, but uh, sometimes we we just kind of take these things um, as, as they are, as Lutherans, you know, we speak in assertions and so forth. Uh, and, and then, yeah, sometimes we need to back up and parse these things. And I'll be honest in my own preparation. I didn't parse it. I just read it and I was like, yeah, that's true. Um, and so then, you know, <laughs> when you're asking us to parse it and it's like, okay, that's bad radio for us to sit here silently <laughs> yeah. while our minds work. So thanks for that, Fisk. But but no, I think this is a good... I try. <laughs> Angelic, subtle, unanswerable. I try every show to demonstrate how I yet remain far above you all. (laughs) (laughs) And the gauntlet has been thrown. (laughs) But but I I think you do raise a good point here in that we do need to parse this out. And how how do we understand this? And and, and I think you're on the right track. I I might be oversimplifying my, my parsing of this here, but essentially what he's saying is faith is what allows us to, to even like see the law. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just, just, I mean, and and again, even Luther talks this way too. That you know, if we try to uh, keep the law apart from faith, all we're really doing is heaping burning coals upon our head. And Scripture talks that right, way, right? Right. And uh, and and we're really condemning ourselves more. And so now um, the the law, we 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 approach it when when we recognize our great weakness and and how the justifier has brought us into this right relationship. I think you're you're spot on. And so that the next sentence in a justified person, so in the Christian mm-hmm. who has been totally declared innocent by God, there is still no right work he can do that will make him live. Right? So the law yep. and the relationship with the law has totally been changed. Rather, justification is received by faith, which doesn't, we just had this conversation, doesn't throw the law out entirely, but it reorients our, our relationship to the law and our relationship to God is not through that law. But right. through this gospel instead, can, can and we, this this quote about the justifier uh, being reconciled by faith and justification received by faith—it's a passing quote, uh, and it goes between these two different Augustine quotes. And I think that for a little bit of context and a little bit of uh, more ability to to chew on this, can we jump into that second Augustine quote? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, sweet. Unless are we going to leave your question? Well, no, I was good. This this might help. I'm thinking through here, you know, as parsing this, what if we replace the word faith with Jesus? Does that work? I mean, it may not work in every instance, but if we're trying to put our focus in the right place, I think that's what we're struggling with. I mean, that's what the whole struggle is here. It's not our works, it's Christ. And so, you know, as we read through here. So to do that, it would sound a little bit like this. Here, Augustine clearly says that the justifier is reconciled by Jesus and that justification is received by Jesus. Yeah. So their summary in the next part is is much clearer than the Augustine quote in, because it, as it sums it up. And then certainly uh, that, that gives the answer that you were saying. And in the, you could do that, Peter, in the, in the previous paragraph as well. But I think what... Um, what I've been struggling with is not just Jesus or faith in there, but this language of the use of the justifier with a capital J over and above and against this one who's living in the law. Hmm. The language just, it sits foreign to our jargon. The way we would normally talk this way as Lutheran pastors, it, it doesn't come out this way. And so we have to kind of step back and say, well, what are they getting at? But the summary here, right? Mm-hmm. 
But Augustine clearly says the justifier is reconciled by faith and justification is received by faith. And then at Peter's point that this is what Jesus does for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's what we're used to saying and hearing. Yep. Yeah. And then so here's then the quote that, that continues this thought in Augustine. By the law, we fear God. By faith, Jesus, we hope in God. But to those fearing punishment, grace is hidden. And the soul laboring under this fear resorts by faith to God's mercy in order that he may give what he, uh, and that he, capital H, may give what he, capital H, commands, right? So the soul laboring under this fear, the soul that is under the fear of punishment has to resort by faith, that's through Christ, to God's mercy. And there, God gives what God commands that we could not achieve. Right. I'm, I'm going to try uh, my hand at another little phrase here. <laughs> we'll wait on the hashtag Sean Smith said that or not. Um, so the law doesn't make our relationship right with God. God makes our right relationship right with the law. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's the next section, paragraph 107 there in our little readers text here, there, there's even a, a thing that says, and the adversaries reject this teaching because what they're teaching is that the keeping of the law makes us in a right relationship, a justified relationship, a righteous relationship with God. And and here Augustine is clearly laying out the opposite. No, God gives you what he commands. He commands perfect obedience, perfect righteousness. And so he, by his grace, reorients our relationship to the law. Now, this is exactly what Wesley's problem was. If I'm getting it right, was mm-hmm. he couldn't believe, he couldn't accept that God would give a law that God knew we couldn't keep. And and so if God commanded it, therefore we should be able to do it. Be holy because your father in heaven is holy. Okay, well, I should be able to do that one then, right? Be perfect. And and that leads then into the entire American spirit of, of uh, Protestant Christianity trying to believe that, that this law is is strictly given for the sake of our being able to do it. And we're confessing with Scripture and the fathers that, no, there's there's a law given that doesn't give life. If a law could have been given by which life could have come, then faith would, then justification would have been through the law. I think Paul even says it clearly that way, right? And, and yet it just, what we're, what we're saying, and this, I, the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing this is because I think this is a foreign way of thinking. God gave the Ten Commandments, knowing that we already knowing we don't keep them and we can't keep them and we won't keep them. So you can't look to them for hope. Right. But once I recognize that I have been justified in Christ, the justifier has done his work. It is he who is that perfection. And I actually cease to exist. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, St. Paul says. Right. And so uh, it is it is his perfect righteousness that, that reorients us towards the law, and we see, again, how good it is, and we endeavor to live according to it. Exactly. When you have someone who's unanswerable on the show, it's tough, because I mean, it is for silence yeah. afterwards. You're only going to have silence. There's no other option. Maybe, maybe I'll become the, the, the new Chrysostom, the new just, golden mouth. I just like to say that my silence is very subtle. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, a it's a subtle silence. silence. Last paragraph in this section. Here he, Augustine, teaches that hearts are terrified by the law, but they receive consolation by faith. He also teaches us to receive mercy by faith before we try to fulfill the law. We will quote certain other passages shortly. Does it sound like we're going around and around circles? Does it sound like we're saying the same thing? We are. I mean, it's, it's one article and it's quite extended because it's making a very, very careful point for the sake of the debate, in a court of room style, 
so that we can't miss the, the centrality, the article in which the church stands or falls. Exactly. And just when we look at this wonderful, provocative, clear statement about how the law and the gospel works, then we want to say, yawn. I've heard this before. It's not a big deal. But if we get this wrong, and oftentimes our sinful flesh does, then we have big problems. And it is here that this law-gospel distinction and this law-gospel paradox is so important. Our hearts are terrified by the law. So what do we do? We don't do what our flesh would try to have us do. Go work harder. Go be better. Go go Christian better. Instead, we simply cast our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, because we have, as, as Paul and Sean both said a minute ago, uh, we cease to exist but it is Christ who lives in me. And we look to Jesus because that is our only hope. We can't be a better Christian enough. We can't do better enough. And so we just carry on. Yeah. And and how much of this doctrine matters? Because as you said, you know, the temptation is to say, oh, Jan, I've heard all this before. Um, you know, can we move on? And, and, and what it leads to is complacency. And we actually forget our doctrine. We think we've heard it before. We, well, we, we have heard it before and we think we know it. Yeah. And now uh, we've but, moved on. Yeah. And now we've moved on, but it leads to complacency. And, and so, and so much of this ravels on to, we, we talked about this several weeks ago, well, a couple months ago now in, in the previous article on the, the article of sin and, and how that affects, because at the root of all of this is my God problem that I have, right? This, that, this fact that I don't have peace with God and every single problem in my life, every single problem in this world, all has that same root problem of lack of peace with God, my sin, my open rebellion against God. But here we receive that mercy. We receive that consolation by faith and that faith clings to holds on to tightly Christ Jesus, who is my justifier, who has been my perfect righteousness and has saved me. Amen. Uh, yeah. I, he's unanswerable. unanswerable. <laughs> and that's the problem right there. So, but, but very well said and very importantly said uh, that this is exactly how it works. Thank you for your affirmation. <laughs> I feel better about myself now. <laughs> You're listening to Concord Matters on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. This is, I'm your host, Pastor John Fisk. I have been talking with the angelic pastor, Peter Eel of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstead, Illinois. He is angelic in his dogmatic assertions. By the way, the uh, the subtle Mr. Peter Slayton, you might notice him, you might not, uh, as social media manager of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and the unanswerable Pastor Sean Smith. So unanswerable, they've given him two parishes, St. Paul, Winehill, <laughs> and Emmanuel, West Point, both over there in Illinois. You are listening to Concord Matters. Again, I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Hey, listen. The article on justification is no joke. We can joke about ourselves and our life and our own understanding, but it is serious business to know that it is not by works of the law that you stand innocent on the day of judgment. It is by the grace, the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we move toward Holy Week next week, remember, this is what it's all about, people. This is why he came down. It was no mystery to him what he was going to find. He knew what he faced, and he knew why he faced it. He faced it for you. He might pull you out of the despair of yourself and into his most marvelous light. Hey, stick around. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.